0: So while hockey is still Canada's most popular spectator sport, yet many fans question how organized hockey has evolved from its origins as they watch the NHL expand ever deeper into non-traditional markets like the American South, taking the best young Canadian talent and leaving major Canadian markets in Quebec, the Maritimes, and the Prairies uh, in the cold. Now, minor hockey, once the pride of smaller communities, now serves as a brutal corporate feeder system for the NHL, often shipping players as young as 14, far away from their homes and families on shore notice. Uh, Regina born Neil Longley is currently the director of business at Nevada State University in Las Vegas. In his new book, A Whole New Game, Economics, Politics and the Transformation of the Business of Hockey in Canada, he contrasts the current state of the game with the way it was before the expansion era. Neil, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It's Glad to be here.
0: Uh, now, uh, you were born in Saskatchewan. Uh, you've uh, followed hockey as, as as a young man and throughout your life. What convinced you to write this book now?
1: Well, I think there was a, a couple of things. One is that over time, I began to see that the game that I followed as a kid looked very different—not just on the ice, but really in, in terms of the business and economic aspects of it. And professionally, I went on to become an economist and decided that I was going to study um, the economics of professional sport leagues is one of my uh, main focuses, and particularly emphasis on hockey. So for me, it was sort of uh, combining here work with pleasure. During that time, though, and looking at, at the NHL, I really started to see that a lot of these changes over the past half century in many ways are very parallel with the changes, the underlying changes that have gone on in Canada itself. So that, for me, was was fairly fascinating. Mm
0: -hmm. And and when you say those underlying changes to Canada, are those economic? Are they demographics? What do you mean by that?
1: Certainly, certainly much of both. I think demographically, we saw the the movement West, we saw the West in general become a much more major player. Uh, Certainly, uh, Alberta, and I talk in the book about the, the Battle of Alberta in the 80s and how the the, the rise of the New West and the oil producers uh, of Alberta and the Peter Lougheed government were sort of pushing back at the east. Uh, British Columbia, uh, a massive expansion in population over the last 50, 60 years. Um, you know, at one point, and, and I guess I was intrigued by this, my, my own, as you say, my own home province of Saskatchewan was actually in the 40s the third largest by population province in Canada after only Quebec and Ontario and has, of course, since been long surpassed. So I think that was definitely part of it. I think we've seen on the business side, uh, you know, freer markets, uh, freer movement of goods and services. And with that, I think we've also seen an increasing role and in, in if some might say domination, of U.S.-based franchises within the, uh, the National Hockey League.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, focus just on something. Just uh, There's a couple of issues to focus on here, but let's focus a little bit on the economic factors. Um, what kind of changes on the economic side are you seeing in, in the professional ranks, for that, for that matter, even in the minor league ranks in places like British Columbia?
1: Right. I think on the professional side, you know, the, the game of hockey at the NHL level has always been a business. You know that that's not new, but I think over the last thirty years or so, particularly in the the Gary Bettman era um, of the NHL when he became commissioner, the the changes uh, Gary Bettman's view he came from the NBA was very much to, to 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 copy the copy the NBA model, and this part of this meant having a national footprint in the United States and really being in every top television market in in, in that country mm-hmm. and i think so therefore you know we, we saw some of those biases move that way in terms of um, franchises in uh, u.s cities that may not have a strong tradition of hockey and hockey following um but bring the population you know and, and the idea that capturing even a small percentage of the market in a very large market um, maybe better than capturing a large percentage of the market in, in, in a small market. So that, that was definitely, I think, something that we've seen change over the last 30 years. And there's been other changes. Well, technology. Uh, the the major U.S. based franchises in the early 90s started to become economically much stronger than their most of their Canadian counterparts. The rise of digital television caused the uh, the local TV TV revenues in the uh, one of the major u.s markets to just explode so we went from an era where it was largely a gate-driven league the one where the size of the market you were in from a from a local tv perspective became a very dominating factor uh i think on on, on the more minor league level i, I have a I have a chapter in the book on uh, junior hockey mm-hmm. and of course uh you know many uh, uh, western hockey league franchises in british columbia and its evolution has in some way mirrored the NHL, and, and I talk in the book about how, um, before the draft got uh, instituted in the NHL in the late '60s, that essentially NHL clubs controlled the, uh, the entire Canadian amateur hockey system, and that meant sponsoring teams uh, across the country. That ended when the when the draft started, but when we when we saw the junior leagues and the junior operators that kind of the freed from direct control by the NHL. We saw those leagues uh, to me, interestingly formed as almost mini Mm NHL where they held their own draft. They limited supply of franchise. I talk in the book about how monopoly leagues like the NHL, uh, one of their lifebloods to to higher revenues is to limit supply of their franchises to make them more valuable. You know, so we've seen that extend down to junior hockey as well. Um, So I think for me, many, many parallels on the economic and business side of major junior hockey uh, with the National Hockey
0: League. Um, I grew up in a small town in the interior here in British Columbia called Williams Lake. It's about six hours north of Vancouver here. And, uh, you know, that era of the 70s and 80s, um, you know, life was around the local hockey, hockey arena and your local hockey team. Um, are we losing it now with the amount of European players and American players uh, in, in the NHL? And yes, there's lots of Canadians that still play in the NHL. Um, are we seeing less, and maybe it's just me, are we seeing less of small-town Canada represented in the NHL, or, or is this just my perception?
1: No, I think, Jeff we're definitely seeing less. And um, I, 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 hockey very much, through the 40s, 50s, even into the 60s. Many of those players, if not most of them, came from rural areas. There wasn't a lot from British Columbia at the time. That's that's changed now. But at that time it was mainly Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And early 50s, they accounted for about 40% of the players in the NHL and made up about 12% of the country's population. So hugely overrepresented. Northern Ontario mining towns Uh, forestry towns, same kind of thing. You had the Tim Hortons and so on, who all grew up in northern Ontario. So, um, yeah, and and you go back uh, and, you know, you you look at, um, you know, the Watson brothers back in the 70s, and they were, um, you know, they were very predominant with the Philadelphia Flyers. So it was a small-town game. So I think part of what has happened definitely is the influx of, of Europeans and I think yeah more, more even more important in recent eras is, is the Americans um, the game and the the development of the game has changed it's It's migrated from rural bases into big cities, there's more resources there's, there's higher levels of competition uh, you know training has become much more technologically sophisticated, so I think. There's so many factors here that have caused that game and the roots of the game to really move away from sort of small-town Canada.
0: We are speaking to Neil Longley, author of A Whole New Game, Economics, Politics, and the Transformation of Hockey in Canada. Great book. Hope you um, can pick it up. Uh, I certainly enjoyed uh, reading it. You Neil, know, one of the other uh, issues um, and as I was reading the book was... Um, you know, there was always at one time, and perhaps even you you hear a little bit of it even today, less so uh, certainly, a resistance to European players um, uh, playing in the NHL. So when Canadians today talk about, um, you know, hockey and sort of non-traditional markets, as I said, we've had resistance to even Europeans at one time. Uh, do you think that's more nostalgia? And, 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 and do you think we may be wrong in the case of hockey, you know, will do just fine in non-traditional markets over the long term.
1: Right. I, I, you know, I think two parts of that. I think there definitely, over, over time, was resistance of the European players. Particularly, you know, when they first started migrating to North America. Uh, you're right. I think we hear much less of that now. And I think, I think for hockey fans in Canada... Um, I would say that they're they're less bothered by that than that second part where we're seeing teams placed in non traditional, usually US markets. Uh and for many Canadians I think they see that at the expense of other possible markets in Canada. You know, the Quebec cities, the Hamiltons and um, you know, even stretching at the Saskatoons kind of thing. And and I think that's where some of the dissatisfaction comes into play kind of in the moderate era. You know, why is that happening? And for me, uh, it kind of goes back to the fact that, you know, the NHL really is a collection of the owners of the 32 existing clubs. And for them, they're going to make expansion moves. They're going to locate franchises in places where they can make the most, the, the, the most revenue. And going along with that, I think, is again, this idea that, inherently there's a limitation of supply of franchises so it's not a quebec city and a houston texas question it may turn out to be a quebec city or a houston texas and i think in many cases in the modern era you know the quebec cities of this world are, are probably going to lose that um you know that battle uh so i think that is what what is occurred. you know i currently for the last five years i lived in las vegas and this is about a non-traditional market as you can get and and the the Golden Knights here have done a fantastic job of marketing their product to a uh, a hockey to a base of fans that really do not have much of a history with hockey, but it 's a different game here it 's a different game I think in a lot of non traditional u s markets where the fans see the game very differently um, I lived in in Massachusetts for fifteen years, and even there where hockey has a much longer t- tradition. Mm-hmm. Fans there see the game differently than Canadians do. It's, it's a business, it's entertainment only. I think in Canada, we see it as being a lot more than
0: that. Can, can you ever see a, a, another NHL team in the U.S.? Sorry, in Canada, uh, based on what we've been watching the last 20 years, 25 years, would there ever be a, another team in Canada, an expansion team?
1: I, I don't think you, you ever say it could ne- never happen, but I think it, it the probability of that happening, particularly in the medium term, the near to medium term, is, is probably fairly low. Um, you know, Quebec City has been talked about a lot. Uh, they have the arena in place, but it's still a relatively small market, um, certainly based on population. So I, I think, you know, and, and, and eventually the... Um, the era, the Gary Bettman era, will will change in the NHL, and it's unclear how much, you know, his per- personal vision has driven some of these decisions. But I think we will probably see a little different perspective. But yeah, Jaz, I, I, I mean, I have a hard time envisioning anywhere in the near future that we're going to see much of a change there. <laughs>
0: Now, recently I was talking to a a friend of mine and uh, his son is drafted to play in the WHL. We got to talking a little bit about the minor league system, junior hockey as well. And I'm always hesitant to talk to parents sometimes because you hear complaints pretty quickly once you start that conversation. Um, Right. In your mind, uh, how do you think we fixed the system uh, so that, you know, there is, um, you know, perhaps a better understanding of what the p- players' needs are and making sure these players, whether they play professionally or end up doing other things, that they're prepared for life. What kind of things do you think we need right. to be doing in the minor league system uh, to make it a bit more equitable and fair and ultimately making sure these young players uh, have different avenues to succeed in life if it, if it isn't hockey?
1: Exactly. I think that's a great question. It's a very difficult question to answer because it is is so... Um, entwined with with the history of junior hockey, which has always, at some level or another, um, placed these these boys and young men at disadvantages. I mean, even going back 50, 60 years. I think in the modern era, one of the things we have to recognize is the is the you know, for example, the Western Hockey League uh, is an independent entity, and we have private owners of many, if not most, of the franchises. And the days when uh, junior hockey clubs uh, were an extension of the amateur hockey systems in each of these um, cities and towns in Canada, you know, that ended back, you know, over 40 years ago. So I think that's what people remember or think about as the roots of junior hockey. And it is a separate entity. So I think it's going to be very difficult to get uh, a private entity, you know, Western Hockey League and, and its, you know, largely privately owned clubs. Uh, to make change, and uh, one of the things I raise in the book is is the uh, uh, is the draft system in junior hockey, and you know so you've got a um, you got a Connor Bedard from North Vancouver mm-hmm. uh, being drafted by my hometown team, the Regina Pats, and that is a uh, that's a that's a big move. That, that's that's um, you know, and and for a player of his stature, uh, it was going to work for him in a way, but I think for a lot of boys and young men. Um, those kinds of moves are uh, potentially, uh, you know, we, we, I think we have to really question whether that's in, in the interests of young men, particularly men under the age or boys under the age of 18. Uh, it, it's hard to fix. I think, I think, um, I think part of that is is uh, is what it is now. Uh, someone would have to, as a third party, else would have to come in and kind of break up the uh you know the private leagues and i'm not envisioning anyone uh doing that in the near future so that that that, that to me is, is is certainly a concern as to where we're at in the modern era maybe one of the biggest concerns um is is that but it's junior hockey has been they talk in the book junior hockey has been criticized decade through decade through decade um and we haven't seen any material change I guess I'm pessimistic about your question in terms of how things might change.
0: We're speaking to Neil Longley, author of A Whole New Game, Economics, Politics, and the Transformation of Hockey uh, in Canada. Uh, Neil, we've got a few more minutes. I, I wanted to ask you about uh, one of the things that you, you brought up um, in our conversation, which is more and more... Uh, Uh, sort of draftees coming out of major urban centres, less so from small-town Canada for a variety of factors. This is very specific to Vancouver, Uh, and I know Toronto, the GTA area, has sent many and continues to send many players um, uh, to the NHL. Uh, I know we have Connor Bedard out of Vancouver here, uh, latest sensation, and we've had many others come out of the city. When I look at Vancouver, I also see a city with that is a very expensive city to live in, number one, one of the most expensive in the world. Um, you have very high land costs here as well because we're surrounded by water, uh, mountains, and the border, which means it's very difficult to build arenas even. And then the general cost of hockey, uh, it, it, it doesn't go down for, for for your average parent. Do you worry at all uh, about cities like Vancouver over the longer term where, where the game itself is accessible to a narrower and narrower class of society uh, rather than it being available 50 years ago, 35 years ago to much more people, particularly small town Canada, that I would think over the long term, that's also one of the challenges hockey has before it is just the entry point to play for kids.
1: It's exactly right. And I think that's, uh, you know, the whole cost issue you raise, whether it's costs of, of living in cities like Vancouver, building arenas it's also costly for parents in terms of the development process and having uh the young players go to the right camps, the right places, uh in some cases, uh you know, development from a from a a, a physical fitness perspective, training methods. So this has become extremely costly. And I think gone are the days when when, you know uh Children could be uh, sort of thrown out onto an ice rink and, and, and kind of play as they may and, and some develop into stars some don't and I know again from from my roots in uh, in Saskatchewan um, you know how, how players develop in past errors are, are nothing like they, they do today I mean I think Vancouver has the advantage of what is a, um, a highly populated urban area. But it also has some disadvantages, as you mentioned, in terms of cost issues, and and and, and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's uh, uh, <laughs> and I, I can I can attest that Saskatchewan still has the advantage of. Uh, it can
0: still play outdoors in January. Yeah. Um, so that, that is true. You can in Vancouver. Yeah, that is true. Ba- the entry point for uh, you know sports like basketball are much cheaper. You pair of sneakers and a and a ball and you, you can, can go. go. But uh, anybody, any hockey parent will tell you about those costs. Many years ago, I was posted abroad as a reporter, and I, I was uh, one of my favorite stories I ever covered was when I was living in India. Uh, for um, the highest altitude of hockey is played in, in in northern India in in Kashmir and. Uh, along the Himalaya Plateau there, mm-hmm. it's about 12,000 feet above sea level. And it was wonderful watching Canadians play. They go every year to play. Uh, and it was very unique. And But, you know, it's never going to be a market for the NHL. Uh, but it was wonderful to see that this amazing uh, game played in so many different parts of the world. I look at NBA's expansion. Um, you know, it's Las Vegas and Seattle next. There's also talk, however, of um, Mexico City potentially one day. And it is an accessible sport. They're pushing to China when I lived there. You can see they're pushed now into India as well. It's an accessible sport. Hockey has a tougher time. Do you see hockey expanding beyond its uh, core sort of North American roots, uh, even if it is a Sun Belt? Do you see one day perhaps a European team joining the league uh, in some way? Or do you think it'll be a sport that does very well in North America, but mostly North America?
1: I, I think at this point, Jazz, I would have to say it's still largely going to be a North American sport. I think you know, the entry point, the, the obvious entry point would be in Europe. And even Europe, as, as we know, uh, encompasses a lot of territory. In many of those places, um, there is no real interest in hockey. So I think you're looking you know, at, at um, uh, the Czech Republic. You're looking at Sweden, Finland, and so on. You're looking uh, at Russia, but we now know what's, what's, what's happening there. So I mean, these are these are kind of the 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 places. The I, I wouldn't call it a niche game, but it certainly doesn't have that broad appeal. I spend quite a bit of time uh, in Germany uh, working with colleagues, and you know, hockey has a presence there, but it's 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 down the list. It's it's not uh, basketball. I think is 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 more popular than certainly soccer. What's there? It has a following, but it's not like the Czech Republic. It's mm-hmm. uh, not like Sweden. So, And I think one of the things uh, from an NHL expansion perspective, uh, teams have to be located in cities where there is uh, enough wealth and money to go around to support a team on the level that the NHL uh, would expect. And that isn't necessarily always true in some of the potential rabid hockey markets in Europe. So we have to have that interest in hockey that goes along with uh, enough consumer spending wealth to be able to support uh, you know, season after season at an NHL club.
0: Uh, my final question to you, uh, you currently live in Las Vegas, uh, a home of a Stanley cup champion while he, us the, the, while the rest of us here in Vancouver are still hoping and praying one day, Uh, to see a Stanley Cup here. Any advice you give our city?
1: Well, I will say that um, I was living in the Boston area back in 2011, and, uh, you know, the Canucks probably should have won the Stanley Cup that year. And I I did kind of feel bad for them. I wasn't particularly connected to the Bruins. Uh, Hopefully, uh, they will get back. What I will say from an economics perspective, Jazz, is I think – since 2005 since the NHL implemented the hard salary cap, Canadian franchises do have more potential to, you know, to win it all and I think there are still some advantages to large market US-based clubs even with the salary cap, but I think that the the playing field has been leveled somewhat and you know, as we well know in the Stanley Cup playoffs um you know, you have to win 16 games, and sometimes it's who's hot at the right time and who has uh, the hot goalie, and I'm not sure the Golden Knights uh, were necessarily the best team in the NHL last year, but, but they did it at the time they needed to. So I think I think we will see a Canadian team win the Stanley Cup. Um, when, I guess, is, is, is another question, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if one broke through here in the next, let's say, five years. We don't know who that's going to be. could be the Canucks.
0: Fingers crossed, that's for sure. Neil, thank you so much for your time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks, Charles.